0: I'm Norma Maite from Venezuela.
1: And I am Elias Herrera from Venezuela. When we came in Plainfield, like us, like as strangers, or like aliens, the Christians are the same. Because we are living in the world and with the culture different, our Christian culture. And then we are living, sharing with the and then we have to follow Jesus and Jesus' culture, but we have to live with them, but we are not them. And then I think live the strangers is like a Christian in the world. You can love your neighbor, one day, don't say hey or hi. Or, it's not easy. But you have to pray for them because you have to love them.
0: Elias and Norma are such a joy to know. If you see them around, you want to thank them for sharing a little glimpse of their life here as strangers. First, Peter is our study, this little letter found at the end of the New Testament, toward the end, written in 62 AD. We're calling this series Strangers because, as you've learned, Peter is writing to people who are scattered throughout what we know as Turkey, Asia Minor. He addresses them as aliens, foreigners, strangers. Uh, later in the letter, he uses that term, uh, but he wants them to understand that they are. this is not their home. They're traveling through, just like we're reminded every time we come together, this world is not our home. We're traveling through to something far greater beyond this today. It's important to grasp that because um, we can get really settled where we are. And Peter is writing this letter to help them hold on in the midst of a culture that stands against them. In fact, Peter seems to sum up the gospel in the first chapter, verse 11, when when he says the gospel is the suffering of Christ and the glories that will follow. If you have your Bibles open, look at that, 111. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. In other words, Christ suffered, and today he's glorified, and he's seated to his Father in heaven at his right hand. The same thing, the same thing is our story. As we grow to become like Christ, there are all kinds of life experiences, and we are becoming like him. Now, that's important to understand because as followers of Jesus, when we come to him, We can live by one of two fantasies easily, and they are fantasies. One I would call a legalistic fantasy, and that is if I follow the rules, if I do what Jesus says, then my life should be less pain-free. He's obligated to bless me more if I'm going to lay down my life for him. That's a legalistic fantasy because God nowhere assures us that we will have less pain if we follow him. The second fantasy, we could just call a um, uh, liberal fantasy. The liberal fantasy is, uh, now that I'm following Christ, now that I've been baptized to him, I can really do anything I want to do because I've been baptized. He's taken my sins away. Both of them are, are, are a fantasy theology. That is not true. Realistically, what the Bible tells us, when you come to Jesus Christ, You will suffer. And sometimes your suffering is for living in a fallen world. And because sin came into the world, there's all kinds of disease, there are hurts, there are tragedies. That's just the story of a fallen world. Sometimes the suffering comes because of our own problems that we've created in our own lives. Sometimes the suffering because we are simply followers of Jesus. That's what the first century Christians were discovering. These to whom Peter is writing, they are suffering in all kinds of ways because they are simply followers of Jesus. Their businesses are falling apart. They can't be in the trade unions. Some have already been dragged out of their homes and in prison. The, the, the severity of the persecution is only going to increase with uh, the emperors of Rome. Uh, so there, there is a suffering of all kinds. And I know we want to say, well, that's not fair. Well, it's, it's not about being fair. The good news is that, that God can take any kind of suffering we have, and he can change us to more perfectly look like Jesus. That's what he wants us to understand. So Angela read our text out of a different version. Here it is in NIV again, chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, and God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism now now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, But the pledge of a good conscience toward God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So we have this text so that we can be well prepared to stand before our Father in heaven. There is no reason when the gospel is announced that not every person can be ready for the coming of the Lord or be ready when they take their last breath to enter his presence. We can, every one of us, be ready. It's very basic to understanding this text. So here are four truths. The first one is this, is the salvation truth, and that is Jesus died to bring us to God. Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now we would call that a forensic statement. Now we don't use that word in common language. If you're big on the cop shows or the shows where they do autopsies, you're a freaky person and you like that stuff. Uh, then you you hear the word forensic. The forensic uh, th- that word is a it's a legal term. It, it has to do with uh, legalities. It has to do with judicial rulings. That's what forensic medicine is about, is, what, what, is the, what is the legal ramifications of whatever is happening here. So this statement is a forensic statement. Jesus Christ is more than a moral influence in our lives. He is that. He is more than just the perfect model for humanity, although he is that. He is at least those things, but he's far more than that. And a person may see him as those two things, a moral person and the perfect human, but that is not enough. That is not enough in our eyes to see him and to acknowledge him as being if we want to be right with God. Our sin created a huge chasm between God and ourselves. And only one is able to reconcile that gap. There is one who is righteous. We are not. We sing in Jesus Messiah, he became sin who knew no sin. That's exactly what happened to the cross. So the cross happened forensically, in a sense, that this transaction could be taken place could be taking place judiciously, legally. Some a transaction happened by which. My position changes that no longer do I have to be treated as a criminal before God, but in fact, Jesus took that. He became sin. Not only did he bear sin, but he became sin so that I could become, you could become a child of God. That's the transaction of the cross. That's what it means that this one who is righteous died for us who are unrighteous, And so some will say, well, if Jesus would have just stayed here, he could have just kept healing people and and could have been, you know, giving people a better life, which is true. According to the travels and touching all over, over 200 countries in the world, he could have done that. But still, the cause of those ills would never be addressed. All those people that he healed when he was here, you see, still faced death. They would have still faced eternity without hope had it not been the cross. It's the cross that we've sung about today. It's the remedy for our true problem of sin. So the core, the, the cause is taken care of, and therefore I can have right standing before God. That's, what, that's why the cross we love to sing about as we have today. Paul wrote to Timothy, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself for all men. One cure for the disease, the cross. The second truth is this. It's a declaration truth that Jesus preached or proclaimed in prison. Verses 19 and 20, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. And you look at me and say, what in the world does that mean? And my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> there are lots of, lots of articles, lots of books have been written about this uh, one verse. I read a 25-page paper in graduate school about it, and I still don't know for sure that I believe what I was writing. Uh, there are lots of opinions among scholars. Volumes have been written about it. Some have said that Jesus, it's just telling us that Jesus went to hell and he suffered. If you grew up knowing the Apostles' Creed, that's what the Apostles' Creed, that he, he suffered in hell for us. Others, others say that he went and gave people who had died before the cross a second chance to repent and come to the Father. Uh, and there are, other, there are other popular notions, six or seven of the most popular ones. And, and frankly, I'm not confident this is what I think. When I have a struggle with a passage... It's best to go to the context. We always, we always try to force people to look at the context. Why is Peter writing? What's his purpose? Why is he writing this? Remember, he's writing to people who are suffering. They don't understand why they have to be suffering like they're doing. So he's writing them to encourage them. And what does he do? He takes them back to Jesus. He did it earlier in our study when he, when he reminded us that when he was when he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He just surrendered himself to his father to do what he wanted to do. That's what he did. And so Peter has been using Jesus as an example in our suffering, that we continue to commit ourselves to him. And so when Jesus down the cross, he did make proclamation to those who had gone before him who had been his enemies. Who, who who set out to disprove him, to dishonor him, to discredit his message. And he announced in some way to those enemies that who he claimed to be was actually true, and he had triumphed over everything they had done to silence him and discourage people from believing him. So Peter's writing this to say this, look, this is the one you're following. This is what he endured so that so that he would triumphantly reign with his father at his father's right hand for your sakes now and forever and he's saying friends you can do the same thing if Jesus went through what he went through and is triumphant at the end of his story whatever you're facing you can be triumphant as well that's the good news we have. I don't know what your pain may look like today. I don't know how dark it seems to you, how lifeless you feel today, but I want you to know Jesus died that you can be a triumphant person. Even in the midst of feeling like you being you're being swallowed up whole and be, being devoured, you do not have to feel like like, like you have no that 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 you, that you can't go on. We humble ourselves before the only one who can lift us up because God gives grace to the humble, right? And he opposes the proud. That will be our text coming in a couple of weeks. We are not abandoned. You are never abandoned. When you lay down your life for Christ, remember that. The third truth is resurrection truth. Noah's Ark and baptism is talked about here, verses 20 and 21. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the Ark was being built, and then only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember those old days, the commercial when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody froze, people listen, all about investing properly. Well, when Jesus speaks, you know, most people don't listen, but we're supposed to we to pay attention. In Noah's day, when God announced what was going to happen, most people, the grand majority of people, everybody, in fact, instead of, except for eight people, believed the warning of God because the Bible says at that time, every inclination of man's heart was evil. Now, you think we have a bad in our culture today. God's evaluation of Noah's culture was every leaning of the heart was evil of every person. And so God was saddened by the condition of the world. And so he he spoke to Noah about building this massive boat on which he and his three sons and their wives, you know, could be rescued along with Noah and his wife. Eight people in all could be saved through it. The judgment of God was coming. And so the flood waters that came Eventually, the people with the judgment of God was falling on the God was going to start all over populating the world with these eight people. And so for those who mocked the message of God and the truth of God, that water became a tool of condemnation and judgment. But for Noah and his family who entered the ark, of safety, the water became the means by which or the tool God used to bring them to a new beginning, to start over again. The water was the separation. It's the same thing that God has done with water throughout the pages or, or throughout history. He did the same thing later when God rescued his slavery. We just studied Exodus. We take them to the Red Sea and those wed- the Red Sea miraculously parted and they left from their years of slavery and, and to, to, to their new freedom. It happened again when they came to flood waters 40 days later when they're about ready to cross the Jordan River but miraculously God parted those waters and those wandering Jews left those years of wandering into a place of rest. All those are precursors to the reality and the beauty of baptism today. And so this is this is what Peter is trying to encourage them, remind them as what has happened. What has happened to you? That's what he's 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 helping them remember what has happened to you, happened to them. That there was a time they entered this place of rescue, this place of safety through the person of Jesus Christ. We are only saved by grace. But we have to express our faith in his grace and the cross and what has been hap- happened to us so that can meet. So baptism provides a place and a time by which I can look back and say, that is when I was born again. Now, again, you've heard me say it many times. God can save people any way he wants to save. He, saved, he, can, he, can, he can do things most dramatic ways any way he wants to save people. But he has not given us that liberty to toy with what he has given us, the instructions he's given us in the New Testament. And we want to stand by this. Let God be God and simply do what he's commanded us to do, to know reconciliation with our Father in heaven. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed to man once to die and after that the judgment. So each of us has to consider the judgment of God on sin. God hates sin and sinners will be punished Eternally, there are only two destinations: heaven and hell. That's it, and the only way we can be rescued from eternal condemnation is by the work of Jesus Christ on on the cross and what He did to change our position with our Father in heaven. Sometimes people will say to me, "Well, I'm baptism. And in baptism, what's what's going to change? Because you know they're good people, they're moral people." They would do anything for you, so what will change? I said, well, the first thing and the most important thing will change is your position with God. Positionally, you will change. Before surrender, you're under God's wrath. When you surrender to the Lord, you're a child of God, and we praise God for that today. The fourth truth is exaltation truth. Jesus has all authority. Verses 21 and 22, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus told the disciples after he died that he would return to the Father, and that's exactly what he did. After the resurrection, he ascended, and now he's in heaven at the Father's right hand, the earth is its footstool. He has given the name that is above all names. This is what Stephen was preaching in Acts chapter 7 when he kept standing and announcing before the Sanhedrin the same group of people that were condemning Jesus about the authority of Jesus and who he is. Of course, they, they, they went crazy hearing the truth announced. They couldn't stand it. They covered their ears. They didn't want to hear what, what Stephen had to say. And, and, and that in that scene... When they're going to stone him, Acts 7 says, Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and said, Look, I see the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And they mobbed him. They tore his clothes and they beat him. And he said, Please, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And they stoned him to death. And he looked into the heavens and he saw Jesus full of glory at the Father's right hand. And With the eyes of faith, that's what we do. We don't see that with a physical eye. We don't see what that is like for Stephen to look into the heavens and see that. But every time we come together, every time we open the word, every time in prayer, we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he is rescuing people from sin and death forever and ever. This is the good news. So, where are your eyes fixed today? Where are you focused today? There's only one who can rescue us. And he's giving us triumph. I, I, I don't know what, again, the, what your life looks like today. I don't know how inundated you feel by life today. But Jesus Christ grants triumph. He grants triumph in your life. There will come a day when suffering will stop. There will be no more pain. There won't be sorrows. There won't be sadnesses. There won't be broken relationships there won't be alienation between friendships and parents and children and children and grandchildren and whatever whatever pain whatever dark times you may be going through have gone through all that will stop and will be before God's throne forever honoring him serving him worshiping him here my challenge for you first when you are tempted to grumble about unfair suffering remember Jesus Just keep remembering him. There's all kinds of unfair suffering. There's not any perfect legal system in the world. There are criminals that go scot-free, and innocent people can suffer in the legal system. Sometimes in your own life, you can feel absolutely attacked by the evil one, pain after pain, and your temptation to say, well, I must be doing something wrong. Not necessarily. You could be doing everything right, just like Jesus did, and still suffer greatly. Um, keep entrusting yourself to the Father just like Jesus did. He is good. He lived a perfect life, and he suffered anyway. And so will we as we continue to grow and surrender. Second, if you want forgiveness, if you want a home in heaven, Jesus is the only way. It saddens me when I hear believers sometimes say, Yeah, you know, I think God has a lot of names. Ours happens to be Jehovah or Yahweh, but they're, you know, it's all really the same God. No, it is not. There is only one God like the one we are worshiping today, and there is only one way to get to him, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Mark Twain used to tell the story about a ferryman who would use a pillow, uh, a uh, pulley on the other side of the river to drag the ferry across carrying people in buggies, and one time, the ferryman was crossing the, taking people across, and uh, there was a, some really smart guy, and he says to the ferryman, so, have you ever, ever, ever studied philosophy? No, I ain't never studied that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, man, you, you've wasted a third of your life, and they went a little longer, and the guy turned to him and said, you ever studied uh, Greek mythology? No, I I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I I ain't never I ain't never looked at that stuff. Ah, you've wasted another third of your life. Well then the ferry boat hit a submerged log and it tipped. Everybody's in the water. And here's this smart guy gurgling and trying to trying to somehow live. And the ferryman yells to him, don't you ever learn to swim? No, I never learned to swim. Well then you've wasted your whole life. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus sadly warned that most people will waste their whole life. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction, and most walk in it. And narrow is the way that leads to life, few will walk in it. So don't be surprised when we challenge you to have a spiritual conversation with your neighbor or your work associate, and you're saying, man, they just don't want to talk. Well, there's a reason for that. Many love the darkness more than the light. But that doesn't silence us. We continue to speak of him because we know he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And third, to experience full salvation, you must be immersed underwater, putting your full faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a work that we do to earn our salvation. It's a way we show surrender. We are dying to self. We're dying to our past. We're dying to ourselves. And we are being resurrected to Jesus Christ. That's what happens. We surrender to him. It's not always convenient, but it's necessary. And we simply want to do what the Bible says. Maybe you remember seeing this picture before. It's Sergeant Andrew Jones. He was from Sullivan, Indiana. And he served in Fallujah, Iraq this is a picture taken back in uh, 2004 he'd lost a couple of fellow soldiers in battle there and he was really struggling and the military chaplain led him to Christ and talked to him about the need to be baptized well how do you get baptized in the middle of a desert right? So they found some cardboard boxes and they taped them together they found some plastic and uh, they lined it but water's pretty precious. There were 300 soldiers, and they gave up a portion, each of them, some of their water rations to fill this baptistry. And Andrew Jones was baptized into Christ in Fallujah, Iraq. What's your excuse? Anybody? Uh, the majority of us in here, we've been obedient, We've been baptized into Christ. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what happened? We're going to celebrate somebody being born again here in just a minute. And we're celebrating a person that's being rescued from the gates of hell and being ready for the gates of heaven. That's what we're doing. You know that. Do you know that's what happened to you? That's what happened to you. And there is no logical reason why you and I should be on our way to heaven It's only because of Jesus who became my sin and your sin that we may live forever. So in Ananias, finally said, the Apostle Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, washing your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. If you need to do that today, please make that decision. Mike's over here. He's one of our elders. And I'm going to ask him to come up here in uh, just a minute. And uh, we may not, you may not have come here thinking I was going to do this today. But my friends, you've heard the gospel today. And if you have not, have not surrendered yourself, there's only reason, only one reason I would not want you to be baptized today. And that is if you don't want Jesus to be your Lord. He's got to be your Lord as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. There is none like you. We thank you, Father, for the sin, the shame that's gone. We thank you for the darkness that even if it tries to haunt us today and to take us down, it cannot because light is stronger than darkness, and you reign victoriously now and forever. So I pray, Father, as we witness this new birth today, that we will relive our own and recognize that we are new creatures and we are fully alive only because of Jesus. May he be eternally praised by us in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.